Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin along with my co-host Bruce Kelly and we've got a great guest today. We're starting off with Rob Isbitz, co-founder and chief investment strategist at Sun Garden Investment Publishing. We're going to we're going to pepper Rob with all kinds of questions about uh, the markets, the geopolitical unrest, inflation, oil prices. Um, he's promised us He's promised us that he knows all the answers, so we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, Bruce, you want to uh, you want to start start off the questions? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, we wanted Rob on to talk about the Ukraine, uh, which is of course the crisis of the day and the big news of the past uh, week or so, and is on everyone's minds. So, Rob. Uh, Mr. Isbitz, thanks for dropping by the podcast. Well, it is great to be here with two folks that I've known for a long time. In fact, Bruce, uh, you and I go back a particularly long way. And in your honor, I am wearing New York Mets colors today, even though we can't really see each other. Uh, so, so there's that. Why on earth, in the middle of a baseball strike, why on earth would you want to do that? You know, uh, you know what? Why not? Why not? Uh, some some reminder. Uh, and and also, I, I you know I want to get that and one other thing out of the way. Uh, you know, Bruce, you helped launch the let's call it the visibility for what I did for what I've done for twenty years and what I still do today, which is what I call defensive investing. You wrote an article and you interviewed me back in I think it was two thousand five for Investment News. It was called a new niche for the rich. Creating alternative funds. Oh yeah, yeah, I recall that. That was yeah. interesting. But that yeah. was at Emerald or something. Wasn't that was that yeah. That was that was a while back. Yep, and before the Sun Garden days, uh, which was last uh, decade or so. But I wanted to publicly thank you because little did either of us know at the time. But uh, you know that that would uh, I think be the the first let's say uh, uh, real publicity. Uh, that was an attention that was drawn to what I have been doing for a long time. Well, my dad taught me to chart stocks when I was 40, when I, not when I was 40, when I was 16 years old. So that was only right. like 41 years ago. And I've been in this industry for about 36 now. So, uh, you know, my dad didn't live around to see it, but, uh, but I'm trying to be part of that legacy. And, and, uh, and look, today's markets, I don't mind telling you folks, uh, 36 years of doing this and 41 years of charting. These are the most complex and, dare I say, dangerous markets that I have ever seen. And so right. I welcome your question peppering uh, <laughs> wherever you want to start. Let's back it up for a second there, Rob. So before I, Jeff and I both started Investment News at the turn of the millennium in 2000, the reason why... Um, you became a good source is because you probably were one of the few people who uh, returned my phone calls, you know, <laughs> at first. I got a lot of hangups. Let me tell you, no one knew what investment news was in 2000, 2001. And, um, but before that, you, you were really, one of the things that struck me is very interesting about you and always has is that you were one of the first guys in the first way of the really true breakaway broker. Uh, and this is all precursor to talking about Ukraine and the markets. But you were yeah. at what Morgan Stanley and um, Donaldson, the old Donaldson, Lufkin, and Genret before you became an independent RIA. And I think you associated with Emerald was the name of the firm, right? Yep, 
That's right. Yeah, here in Weston, Weston, Florida, uh, near Fort Lauderdale. Right. And yeah, it's been, I spent the first seven years of my career uh, in the New York area. I'm a, I'm a middle class kid from uh, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, back, uh, back then I did some investment systems work. I basically spent seven years trying to knock on the door to get into the industry. And then uh, fairly brief tours with a couple of brokerage firms uh, moved down to Florida when our first of three children was born. That was in 1997. Uh, and then, then caught on with an RA firm here. And, and you even worked for, I mean, you had some success and then you even worked for Ron Carson for a while. And then you went back to working on your own for Sun Garden. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, they've uh, they've done some pretty amazing things over the past uh, decade over there. And, uh, you know, after my stint there uh, in, in a uh, uh, kind of a chief investment strategist capacity, I uh, decided uh, to start my own. And uh, that was Sun Garden. It was Sun Garden Investment Management. And when was that, Rob? Yeah, I started Sungar Investment uh, Management in 2012. It was my wife and me uh, in the very room I'm uh, sitting here talking to you now and uh, grew that and then sold it two years ago uh, because I wanted to peel off. Uh, I, I kind of feel like in the industry, uh, seeing as much of it as I have, you're at the point where you are either an investment-focused uh, uh, person uh, and so today I'm more of a model manager for advisors, uh, or you're the advisor and you're client facing. And so uh, not only did I, I, I sold the practice, continued to uh, advise the purchaser uh, from uh, investment model strategy standpoint, uh, as well as other advisors. And, uh, but what I have taken away from my arsenal is the ability to deliver uh, uh, personalized investment advice, you know, in the publishing business, and that's why it's now called SunGuard Investment Publishing, uh, we can tell people what we think, and then they can do with it what they wish. I believe they refer to it as uh, um, uh, indifferent advice. Not right. that I'm indifferent about almost anything except that. Okay. Um, so what are you telling? So you have advisors as clients then? Correct. Right. Yep. So yep. what is your communication to them about the past, you know, week to 10 days regarding Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine and the terrible military action there. What is your what is the thing that you've keyed on and what do you think you might key on in the future in terms of um, markets and advisors portfolios? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things when I went from being advisor and and, you know, kind of how uh, you're you're uh, supervised and 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 sort of the paces you 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 know, you walk through there uh, and now being in the publishing business is uh, every week we put out a weekly which has my most blatant blunt thoughts as possible. In fact, the article every week now is under our own you know, header. Uh, and it's called Rob Rants. So uh, the rant this week was uh, entitled, Is This a Russian Bear? Because it's a Russian-driven, uh, is it a Russian-driven bear market? Right. And you know, I, again, I've been a technician for 41 years since I was a kid. And uh, you know, I'll be honest with you guys, I mean, there are days where, where I, you know, I did, I 
almost couldn't care what the news is. Of course, from a human standpoint, we care deeply about that. Uh, I don't mind telling you, you know, being a Jewish kid from New Jersey, that, uh, you know, what's going on there, uh, you know, it does, uh, we, we all have, let's put it this way, we, we, we all have someone who was named after somebody that passed away, uh, uh, you know, in the Holocaust from, from the real Nazis, as opposed right. to what's being bandied around right now. Uh, so setting aside the human part of it right now. Right. Uh, um, so, you know, one of the things I put together every week is called the Market Outlook Factor Overview, uh, or MOFO for short. Uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine, of course it has impact and it has sort of a trickle down. The oil markets, et cetera, the commodity markets have really kind of taken off on, on a lot of this. But I have to tell you, Hey, I mean, I am a contrarian at heart. You know this, Bruce, from all the you know, time we've, we've talked over the years. I think that the Russia-Ukraine situation, while it will certainly have some material impact on different parts of the market, as a chartist, I kind of look at it and I say, well, the market's going to tell me the story and kind of what's important and what's not. And I will tell you that, that this looks a lot like 2020 to me. And... I'm not the first one to say it because I heard Jeff say something like this on your podcast like in the last month. So uh, I think that that is partly an excuse for selling. But, you know, I look every week at at least 10 major factors that are influencing the markets. And clearly Russia, Ukraine is number one. So excuse me, Rob, when you yeah. say it looks like 2020, you mean like a, sh a very sharp, sudden drop. It's funny, you had uh, Jim Paulson on the show, who's terrific, uh, right. just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the, the original founder of his firm, Luthold, had a, gr a great expression I never forgot. Predictions are for show, but your investment decisions are for dough. <laughs> and, and so uh, there, there, are, uh, there are a lot of issues that the market has right now. Okay, I, wanna, I, I wrote something around the, the, the holidays and I talked about uh, the Seinfeld thing with Festivus, you know, and the first thing that he says is, I right. got a lot of issues with you people and now you're going to hear, hear about them. So there's, there are, there's a long list of issues. It wasn't long ago we were worried about COVID. Inflation still to me is front and center. And it's not whether or not we get inflation because that's what everybody's trying to predict. They're trying to predict What's, what's going to happen with inflation? What's the Fed going to do? When are they going to do it? How many, you know, whatever. I feel like, you know, 30 some odd years into this, that the market will tell us we have to be aware of all these things, but we have to do less of, uh, I guess I would say, uh, why type of work. In other words, everybody tries to put to, to explain them. At the end of the day, what people care about, whether it's advisors or their clients, is is what happens to the balance of their portfolios, and do they avoid getting in a situation where they have a massive drawdown and it can get emotional for them? Uh, we call it ABL, avoid the big loss, and and that's the number one rule around here. So, you know, you look at all of the issues that are out there right now, and what the market is telling me is that you can at least put on the table the possibility that this is either something akin to 2020, where it's short and sharp, just like you said, or yeah, so I'm scrambling going back to all the stuff I was writing for, you know, for a lot of places, uh, Forbes, US News, et cetera, uh, back two years ago. And 
Uh, back then, I was looking at, okay, how bad could this get? Because if you can take the worst case scenario off the table, or at least know what it is, then you can always move forward from there. It's the pie in the sky stuff that, that, you know, that, that gets people in trouble. So you know, two years ago, yeah, we didn't know it was going to stop on a dime, okay? because it almost never does that, uh, at least the stock market. You, know, you don't get that kind of a V too often. 1987, kind of, and, and, but never like we've seen in, in March of 2020. Uh, but it, look, the, the, the other possibility is that you get something like 2020, but then it does what has happened many more times in history than what we saw two years ago. And for that, you kind of have to go back to like the 1930s or maybe the 1970s. And I, you know, I won't go through the details here. All I'm saying is uh, you know, there are a lot of different possibilities. And when you look at how market sentiment is changing, uh, you know, buy the dips or BTFD, depending on who your audience is, uh, is, is now not so strong. I've mentioned the Fed and inflation. Uh, you know, market breadth uh, had narrowed to the point. I mean, look, have we not had every sign that you normally see before a major bear market? Right, market breadth and and uh, narrowing so that only you know four or five stocks drive everything. Valuations through the roof. People saying valuations don't matter. Uh, you know, economic growth. I mean, I, I track something internally uh, for a long time called the ICI, the Investment Climate Indicator for for SunGarden, and uh, it started signaling, frankly, just like the Luthold Major Trend Indicator did pretty recently, that yeah, we are shifting from let's watch this carefully to let's make sure we're darn well playing defense. And uh, so, yeah, Ukraine, Russia, it is part of it. But I, if, you, if you say to me, is that the reason or is that sort of a convenient excuse at the moment? I would say it's the latter. Jeff, what, what, what do you got for, for our guests this week? Well, um, really good stuff, Rob. But my question for you initially is, if you started off by saying this is the scariest time you've seen in a long time, but you also are drawing parallels to early 2020 when uh, there was a it was a sudden drop and a, a a pretty quick rebound. I don't I don't I don't reconcile those two. Yep. So let me clarify it. So kind of going back to. <clears throat> I mean, look, I think as an investment strategist for, for you know, as long as I've, I've been doing that, uh, you know, I've learned my lesson plenty of times about trying to tell the market what to do or trying to make assumptions. To me, as we sit here today, the three of us, any investment, take a stock, take an ETF, take a mutual fund, take a bond, any one of those things can go up in value from here over the next weeks, months, or years. Mm -hmm. What is different between every single investment, and in the ETF space, I follow probably about 300 of them, which cover about 170 market segments. I'm not one of these kind of three, three market segment people, stocks, bonds, cash. It is always somewhere to make a bull market. And there's a famous guy on television that says that. This is where you have to look at it and say, okay, there are a lot of possibilities. I need to be prepared for all of them, not just root for the ones that I hope. So, yeah, you do have to account for what could happen if things get really, really bad, which is why I think that any advisor that doesn't know how to effectively combine offense and defense as opposed to playing offense and hoping, 
or especially the situation with the bond market where the returns are either going to be low positive or low negative or high negative over the next five to 10 years, in, in, in my opinion. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you always have to be ready to pivot. But the 60 40 thing, you know, I mean, you need a new 40 <clears throat> for sure. So, uh, but there, there is a way to do this. And, and frankly, the reason that I end up not being the best performer in a runaway bull market is because I'm always playing offense and defense, and some of that defense is what they would call tail risk. If you can mm -hmm. take the worst case off the table, ABL, avoid the big loss, then the rest can take care of itself. And, and I guess the other thing I'd add to that is, you know, it, yes, we don't know, we can't predict the future, but every single day the market tells us a little bit of a different story, and I can tell you as a technician, I was using, I mean, I use daily and weekly charts most of the time, these days, you might as well substitute like two hour and four hour charts because that's mm -hmm. how much volatility we have. And not making those adjustments and just hoping it goes away is absolutely the worst thing that I think advisors can do. And that's why over time, I've gone from being a really a strategic asset allocator way, way back to a tactical manager uh, with, with a discipline. Okay, here, I got a couple points for you now. Sure. Yeah. Um Obviously, the uh, Russia-Ukraine thing uh, is disruptive. It's horrible and disruptive um, on many levels. Uh, the market was already kind of sliding into that. I am actually kind of surprised that the market has, relatively speaking, calmed down over the past, from the, from the initial jolt. I mean, the S&P, by my calculation, is down little over eight percent right now from for yep. the year the nasdaq is down almost 14 percent does it look like things are are starting to to settle down or is this all right now contingent on how long and how bad things get in ukraine because there's obviously a lot of other things that are serious concerns related to this market right now it just that seems like ukraine is the biggest or the most immediate well at the risk of pissing you off right here I'm going to I'm going to skip over some of the why and get to the what. You know, I'm looking at the chart of the S&P 500 right now just as we speak here on uh what Thursday afternoon. And I'm looking at downtrends, you know, one that was recently broken, another one that is looming ahead that has been sitting there since January 4th of this year. And the I mean, I mean, the, the main strategy I run actually went pause, po positive for the year to date today. And uh, that is not a brag. It's simply to say that you can navigate this, but you have to do it in a different way. And right now, okay, there is so much concern about, you know, is the market going to go back to new highs? Is it going to crash, et cetera? There's going to be a lot of stuff in between. And as an example, Okay, and and you know, I on Twitter and LinkedIn, which is where I do most of my sort of you know on the spot posting, mm -hmm. I, I've been trying to track the S and P all year for folks to basically say, here, this is what I see. This is the what is going on. You can apply whatever whys or whatever you know explanations you want to it. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, there is a downtrend line in the S and P five hundred that until it is broken, this looks smells feels like a the beginning of a bear market and that is not a prediction that is saying the odds are strong against you 
What could happen to change that? A very strong breakout, not just to the old highs, but through the old highs and a broadening of market breadth. But it's going to take a lot of work. And, and I mean, I look at hundreds of charts uh, every, every day and thousands every week. Mm-hmm. And I get a consistent, when I, and, and that's the thing, you know, I didn't know two months ago what was going to happen in Russia, Ukraine. I didn't know how COVID was going to turn out. I remember we were worrying about that. I didn't know what was going to happen with inflation. <laughs> but I did have the market basically whispering and then screaming at me in a consistent fashion based on how prices were moving. And it said, there is something not right. And I focused on the what and not the why. Uh, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll continue to do so. But there's a long laundry list of things that you could say are the reason why it might happen or might not happen. But I got to tell you, this, it, it looks ugly until proven otherwise. I want to. We're going to get to in a minute where uh, where people can go to hide, but um, for the for the for right now, I want to talk to you a little bit about interest rates and yes. inflation. I mean, this is a situation that you know. I'm now. I know anybody that's been around the markets for a while has seen this kind of thing. You, you know, the the Fed has to, you know, uh, respond or I guess manage their various mandates. It used to be two. Now people think it's three and four. I don't know. But so we're looking at probably a rate hike on March. I think it's the 15th. <clears throat> Some people say it's a quarter point. Um, the Fed's got to manage this inflation. But as you know, higher rates don't necessarily uh, cheer up the equity markets. And we're heading toward a, a midterm election cycle. So how, how does the Fed manage, the, manage inflation and keep the markets happy and keep the politicians happy over the next yep. five, six months. So one of the, let's call it uh, human factor reasons why I have an above average level of concern and why I told you I think it's the most dangerous market I've ever seen is because, you know, for the last six years, the market's basically been sort of floating on air backstop provided by the Fed to the point where you folks know as well as I do that anytime there's even a hint or a mistaken you know, word that's misinterpreted about how the Fed's gonna raise interest rates, the market freaks out. Well, Powell comes out this week and basically says it and uh, you, know, you get some reaction, but let's face it, the market's already done a lot of the Fed's work. I mean, you know, they've, they've taken short-term rates all the way you know, up uh, uh, quite a bit from where they were and the thing that I'm really watching in the bond market right now is is the old 10-2 spread because uh, I think the chances of, of recession next year are increasing by the day, and and that's what that tells you. So, you know, how's the Fed going to navigate through it and with inflation? Uh, I would say this: it's I don't believe that it, that advisors and, and and their clients should be worried about inflation in their portfolio. They should be worried about potential inflation in their own spending habits and lives and pocketbooks because it's not inflation that's going to spoil the markets. It's the fear of inflation. And there is a world of difference as we have seen play out. Okay, You could even argue that two years ago, it was the fear of what would happen with COVID when it was upon us. 
Um, mm -hmm. And it turned out to, obviously it did tons of damage and you know, millions of people passing away. Uh, as sad as it was, you know, I mean, the, the, the market had a, had a reaction and then it had a, a opposite reaction. So I think it's the same type of thing here. And you know, bottom line with the Fed is, is, I think like in every other cycle that I've been alive for and can remember, mm -hmm. Uh, they, there's, there's not much they can do now. They're, 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 they're squeezed. You guys remember, uh, at the end of Animal House, uh, the movie when, when the band kind of got stuck in an alleyway and they all just kept marking, marching to the corner, right? You know, I mean, to me, that's where the Fed is. And so, you know, if Powell can talk his way through it for a while, great, but it's not going to change the ultimate outcome. And what is the ultimate outcome? I don't know. The charts will tell me. Yeah, but it, it, without the Fed, how how do you manage this inflation? It's at a 40-year high. It sounds like you're saying the Fed can't do anything. Without without the Fed, what is to be done? You can't just ignore it. Yep. Uh, well, okay, so you're saying as an investor or as a consumer? I'm saying as anybody. Inflation is real. I know you're talking about you're saying it's not something you worry about in your portfolio, but even if you're not worried about it in your portfolio, if everything around you is getting more expensive, you know, the portfolio takes a hit also. Let, let me make sure I didn't, I, I didn't misquote myself. Uh, you should absolutely be concerned about inflation in your portfolio. However, it is the fear of inflation and how that affects prices of securities that you either buy, sell, or hold mm -hmm. that, is, that is going to be the difference. Uh, so as an example, if somebody said to me, you know, my cost of living is going way, 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 way up, and I'm convinced that we're going to have inflation. Well... Uh, you know, I, I mean, there's a half a dozen ETFs off the top of my head that would profit from that. You know, I, I think, and again, I'll confine this to the portfolio. We can go back to, you know, the human being uh, a part of this, especially for we baby boomers. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, the, uh, you know, what is it that, this is a question I've been asking, I mean, back when I was an advisor, I asked clients all the time, a little quiz. What goes up when the stock market goes down or what goes up when the bond market goes down? And you know, people say gold and you know, the cash or bonds would go up when stocks would go down. You know, that ship has kind of sailed now. Uh, what goes up when a certain market goes down? An investment that was structured and designed to go the opposite direction of the stock market or the bond market. So the answers are there. I should say the tools are there. We just need to, I guess, as, as investment strategists, advisors, people in this industry, people who read investment news, uh, we need to use those tools in different ways than we did before, more, more tactical, more systematic, more flexible, more adaptive, and looking at these things in the eye and saying, okay, we all know inflation is real, okay? It's not transitory. We know, I mean, I think beyond the shower of a doubt. How long will it last? Don't know. Is there something the Fed can do about it? Yeah, but the Fed could get the whole thing right and your portfolio could drop 20% because of decisions you make. So to me, it's much more about kind of, and you know, technical analysis used to be tea leaves. Now it's, it's definitely no longer that because... There's so many other people in the in the in the boat, so to speak, doing it, uh, including a lot of traders. Okay, uh, and and look, it's it's kind of like I mean, you guys, I'm sure, have covered this ad nauseum. Okay, um, why do why does the stock market go down on certain days where it just doesn't seem there's much news? Well, 
more selling pressure than buying pressure. And with so much money in index funds, particularly S&P index funds, uh, that, you know, if people are selling S&P index funds for, for whatever reason, it can be because of some technical factor, and I don't mean charting in that point, I mean because money needs to move, there's a changeover in this or that, you know, or it's in reaction to news and people voting with their, with their, you know, with their portfolios. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. That is a much more powerful force than, than uh, what is actually going on in, in the headlines, with all due respect. Um, so, and I think that's an era, that's the kind of era we're in, and that's why the markets are so nutsy, because you've got this compendium of, you've got so many more people involved, instant information moving around, right? We didn't have the internet when we all started in the industry, uh, or at least we didn't have it like we have it now. Uh, you know, you didn't have retail participating as much as they have. Uh, you didn't have hedge funds, you know, uh, uh, swinging money around maybe the way they, they are now. Uh, and you certainly didn't have index funds this dominant. And I would say this, okay, based on my latest perusal of hundreds of charts, mm -hmm. uh, I think in the, in the short to intermediate term, um, I would be more bearish on the, uh, on the top of the S&P 500 versus the bottom. And how do I tell? Because I look at the cap weighted and the equal weighted. I look at the 500 and I look at the top 50, the top 100, top 200, the ETFs are all this. And, and, you know, and small caps, et cetera. And I see that we're getting closer. Is it gonna happen? I don't know. I'm just saying the risk is extraordinarily high that kind of like in a chess game, that it's possible that the, you know, the king is in danger. Okay, and the king is those fang stocks and the upper end of the S&P. And like they say, you know, if you're a bear, I guess, you know, if you, if you shoot at the king, you better not miss. Okay, I don't know if it's, gonna, if it's gonna hit or miss. I just know that the odds of it hitting are much higher right now than I think that I have ever seen. And, you know, if we get a 2020, you know, thing where the market falls by 33, 34% in five weeks, and then, you know, creates the other end of the V and everything's fine, like it was a bad dream, except that COVID was still there, uh, then, uh, then so be it. But we can't even get to that point yet. Uh, and so more than ever in my career, this has become a day-to-day -day evaluation, watching the story unfold, in the broad stock market and all the little pieces of it and in the bond market and all the little pieces of it. And I'll just add as a final touch here, okay, when the year started, uh, I proclaimed that corporate bonds, uh, and if you wanna use LQD ETF as, as sort of a proxy, okay, I mean, that's kind of the benchmark that I managed uh, to, uh, uh, but I don't use bonds, <laughs> uh, uh, kind of a bond replacement, uh, but I believe that corporate bonds are, are the most dangerous investment on the planet. And the simple reason is that so much of that market has been supported by the Fed because they've been buying it for, you know, for a few years now, uh, along with the high yield stuff. And a lot of those bonds, I mean, the corporate bond index right now is about 50% triple B, which means they're hanging by a thread 
And all you need is for those things to get downgraded to junk. And what do you think happens to bonds and all the money that's in bond funds? They can't hold them anymore because now they're double Bs when they used to be triple Bs and they have to sell. And again, the charts are telling me that, that we are gradually inching closer to a D-Day potential for that. Is it here right now? I'm guessing it's not here right now. But, but these are the things, and that's why multiple time frame analysis is so important. Okay, Rob, the, the thing that uh, I definitely agree with you on is on the fixed income side. Um, I'm not a big fan, but I have one final question for you. At least sure. I think it's my final question is, um, what is the, uh, where, where are you allocating and where are you recommending allocations right now? You don't like fixed income. It sounds like you don't like much in the equity space. Um, what, what are you suggesting people do? So look, I mean, keep in mind, and, and again, as I mentioned before, this is kind of the flagship strategy, not the only one I run, but, but it, it's certainly the main one. And, and it's, it's, it's a bond replacement without, without bonds, kind of like a, a flourless chocolate cake or a meatless burger, you know, the way, I think the way that you defeat these crazy markets and not just now, but probably for quite some time, whether it's a true bear we go into or otherwise, is you have to be able to get out of your mind that you're buying things and start thinking of renting them. Okay. So instead of owning a home, you're going to, you're going to be renting an apartment or a home or a house, and you're going to do that over and over again. So turnover increases. Uh, and so look, as we sit here today, uh, I always have offense, always have offense. Okay. Even if it's a small part of the portfolio that tends to be more toward, and it's, it's, we've converted over the years. I've used options. I've used stocks. They're all ETF portfolios right now. And believe it or not, when you play offense and defense at the same time, it's actually very tax efficient because there's always something going down and something going up, you know, most of the time. So what's in there now? On the equity side, I would say it is tilted toward stocks with higher yields, um, but we are renting and not owning. So if we own something for a few weeks to several months, great. Maybe there will be a position that'll be much longer term, uh, but but there won't be too many of them at this at this phase because you know there comes a point where if things get bad enough, it doesn't matter what stock product let's say that you own and i'm all about process not product so that's the offensive side frankly most of the offense that we have uh played this year is in the commodity space uh normally it's not considered the headline of the offense but it sure is now uh and then uh on the defensive side uh, uh, I mean, I, I've never owned four inverse ETFs anymore. I don't, I don't do the levered ones. I, I think that's poison. Um, but, but I, I, I mean, I own four different single inverse ETFs right now. I don't think I've ever owned more than two at a time, but there's a lot of areas to pick at. Uh, there's tail risk through uh, uh, working on things that exploit volatility. Um, there's a little more cash than normal, but frankly, in a market like this, you can be fully invested if you're playing offense and defense at the same time. And, and, you know, it's, it, it probably works as well in markets like this. And back in 2020, uh, uh during that time, I and mean, we, I don't know how many folks there were that, that actually were positive during the five weeks where the S and P 500, uh, was down 34%, but 
Uh, I'm happy to say, and the, the, the performance audit will show this, that I was one of the people that actually made a little money. Um, uh, but that's what happens when you prioritize avoiding major loss and, uh, and, and converting, if anything. I've gotten more tactical over the years because the markets are so tactically oriented now because of all the forces we talked about before that, you know, you, you, I just, I don't see, I don't see any other way if you're a baby boomer or if you're the advisor to a baby boomer and you want to mm -hmm. make sure that your practice doesn't have a meltdown that, that pretend, especially for a boutique RIA like I used to be, I mean, those are kind of my, my, my brethren. Um, you know, you don't ever want to end up, if, if you're one of those right now, you don't ever want to put on the table the possibility that your revenue is going to fall so much and clients are going to panic so much that you're going to end up in a salary bonus type position somewhere where you used to have your own business. That's as blunt as I can be, guys. <laughs> All right. I was just going to ask Rob, he said you need a new 40, a 60-40, you need a new 40, and I think he just answered that question, Jeff, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. you're talking about inverse ETFs, you're mm -hmm. talking about commodities, you're talking about, Rob, right? You're talking about, um, you know, high yield stocks, which you, which you, you know, can uh, rent rather than, than buy. Yeah, look, it um, could be in, in two weeks, that could be swapped out for, you know, something that looks a little more like the FANG stocks. I mean, right. again, it's, it's, that, it's, that, uh, it's that type of market. And, you know, the thing about playing defense you know, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll tell you guys a secret, okay? We'll just keep it between the three of us uh, and, and our producer. Please do. Okay, here's a secret, all right? When you play defense and combine it with your offense, just like in football, the defense is not only about defense. Sometimes the defense can actually score. In other words... If you start with a defensive mindset and move forward from there, I'm not playing defense at the expense of all offense. I'm just playing defense combined with offense. And this is obviously a time where, look, the only way you can make money in a market like this is you, you have to say, and I've kind of looked at every bear market in my career like this, okay? It, it, we don't know if it's a bear yet, but the first 10% or so, you know, you try to lose a lot less. But when you go from minus 10 to minus 20 to minus 30 to minus 50, okay, first time I ran a mutual fund, the first seven months, the S&P was down 55%. Welcome to the show, kid, right, Bruce? Uh, baseball term. So, uh, you know, if, if, you, uh, if, if you work at defense along with your offense, what happens is you are not only in a better position when everybody else is licking their wounds, but you have just as much potential to do very well in the next bull cycle if it's three months or 13 years, like the one we just had. Right. Okay. That's the secret. That's the, that's the not-so-secret way to come on out. <laughs> thanks for the secret. Yeah. Okay, Rob. Thanks very much for coming by the podcast, man. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Love what you guys do. And uh, uh, really, I mean, to me, you guys are, are, are the deans of, of, of this industry from the journalism standpoint. And, and you were part of the reason that I became a journalist as well as an advisor and a money manager. Wow. So thank you. High praise. Thank you very much. I'm not blowing Thanks smoke. So That's for real. Thanks, guys. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is Bruce. We got a little five, ten minute little chat here with Jeff. 
about a story that he's been working on this week that is particularly interesting. Um, uh, a guy who made our 40 under 40 list recently, Tyrone Ross, had been up until this week the CEO of, of a prominent startup called OnRamp uh, that focused on advisors in crypto investing. And he announced earlier this week, kind of suddenly into the surprise of many, that he was leaving. And so Jeff uh, was on that, I guess, Sunday night, Monday. Jeff, it seemed like you were uh, all yeah. over earlier in the week. Yeah. And what's surprising, I mean, I, I spoke with Tyrone recently for a story, you know, just a great guy. Um, very, very surprising that he's leaving on ramp so suddenly. Yeah, um, well, I think what it represents is uh, some unrest behind the scenes of OnRamp. And it, remember, it's only a, a, like a 19-month-old operation. Right, so it's a real startup. About, yeah, they got about $6 million in startup capital outside funding. And from my sense is that the, the, the funding was, they were burning through it pretty quick, or maybe they didn't have enough to burn through to begin with. They were trying to get more capital. Um, anybody that is familiar with Tyrone Ross know that he he's very uh, he, he's he's a he's a good uh, a good speaker a good salesman um, he's a very positive face of the the company he was really the face of the company and um, from what I understand he he butted some heads with uh, his co-founder Eric Irvin and um, in very short order um, Tyrone. Uh, decided to resign just said it's over what is on ramp jeff i mean this is something we were talking about this morning <laughs> yeah it's a uh, it's a it's a platform to provide access to crypto uh trading and you know custody platforms and stuff like that and is it's it's like a portal but they also focus it doesn't do crypto trading itself or custody of crypto itself though right it's an access point, basically, but they they focus also a lot on on the education and that stuff, and and there's no money in the education part. So um, you know maybe that maybe their focus was speaking too much to on a that. former school teacher here, dude. There's no yeah, money in education. Yeah, I mean, right. Um, I'm I'm saying yeah, and the, I think you know what I mean though. There's no money. Yeah, it, it you know you want people to be educated on your on your product and your service so that they buy it, but. If if you're doing a lot of that and you're not and people are educating themselves and then going elsewhere or not even doing it, then you're you're not making any money. Well, so, advisors hate to pay for those kinds of services. You'd really have to have some kind of connection with like you know like a big client like an LPL or a Raymond James or a Commonwealth, right, or a UBS or somebody. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I'm not sure about what kind of connections they had with other custodians and other firms and. You know how much they did. You know they do have some revenues. They are, you know, it is an operating business. But my sense is that the, you know, they spend a lot of time on on the branding and the social media and stuff, and maybe not enough on the uh, on the you know the business running part. I don't know that for a fact, but I do know that uh, within hours or within the same day of of Tyrone Ross resigning. Danny Fava of Investnet, she resigned her position on the board. Um, I think yesterday, they a day after Tyrone left, they fired uh, their one of their PR people. A couple of weeks ago, they fired their outside PR firm. 
And then Tyrone was spotted in the Omaha airport recently. Yeah, well, he actually he posted on his uh, he posted on his uh, and this is March third when we're recording this, by the way. But he right. posted uh, this morning on Twitter a picture of him on an airplane uh, wearing a mask, saying he's on his way to Omaha. Which uh, I I I sent him a message this morning asking him if he's talking to the Carson Group, and he just texted back saying he's got a whole day of meetings and he'll see what happens. But well, you know, there's a surprising amount of. I mean, you know this. There's a lot of firms in in Omaha and Nebraska, not just, but Carson is the most prominent, I would imagine. Yeah. In terms of RIAs, of course, the Oracle of Omaha is out there. Yeah, maybe he's going to meet with Warren Buffett. Who knows? But um, <laughs> the one, the one, uh, I'll tell you one takeaway I got. I mean, if you follow Tyrone Ross at all and listen to his 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 speaking and stuff. I don't see this guy folding himself into something like the Carson Group. I, he's an entrepreneur. He he does not want to work for for some giant company. Right. Um, it'd be surprising if that's how it ends up. But um, you know, why not take the trip to the to Omaha? It's, it might be nice this time of year. I don't know. Well, Carson hires a lot of people, and some stick and some don't. I mean, the guy we were our previous guest, Rob Isbitz. I mean, Ron hired him, gosh, you know, after the credit crisis, 2010, 2011. And Rob lasted there months, you know, mm-hmm. if not, if, if even a year, maybe, I think, if memory serves. So some people really stick with Ron Carson and some people don't <laughs> when it comes to working for him. So Yeah, I don't know. I, and that remains to be seen. All I know is that on-ramp, with Tyrone, it seemed maybe bigger than they really are, and without Tyrone, it seems maybe smaller than they really are. So right. we'll kind of see what happens there um, if uh, if they're going to be as big on branding and social media as they they were up until a few days ago. Well, fascinating, I think, because you know, again, he was a forty under forty, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime those people jump around, always worth noting, I think. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Thanks for another great episode of the investment news podcast of course if it's monday jeff it's time for another podcast we want to thank our special guest rob isbitz he's the co-founder and chief investment strategist of sun garden investment publishing we also want to thank our producer angelica hester you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com apple spotify google play and stitcher leave us a review on apple follow us on spotify you can reach out to Jeff if you're in the Omaha airport with a picture or, or, or a picture of a steak or something like that. Via Twitter at, at Benji Ryder. You can send me a picture of a steak too. I always like those. At BD News Guy. And uh, stay tuned because we'll be talking to you next week. Music.